listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm Lauren. And we're your resident best friends, here to help you along your relationship journey. Yes, think of us as your very own little fun fairies, bringing joy to the process and sprinkling love dust all over the place because it takes a village and we're your community. You can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend. Please tell a friend. It shows that we have a loyal and growing audience. It helps us bring you fabulous offers and it keeps the lights on for us to keep running the show and contributing to the village. And boy, does it take a village. We're obsessed with self-improvement, if you haven't noticed, and are equally obsessed with helping our village members, you guys, along the way too. Whether your village consists of your BFFs, therapists, healers, or intuitives, we think all types of guidance provides the tools you need to navigate the roads of life. We are fortunate enough to have therapist and tarot card reader Whitney Walker in tonight to discuss the personal narrative that often keeps us from engaging openly in dating and relationships, how the ego and the heart can conflict, what attachment styles are, and how tarot card readings and therapy complement each other and can help guide you on the path to find your twin flame and soulmate. Whitney is a licensed marriage and family therapist living in Northern California, where she was born and raised. She studied in New Orleans and Seattle and has her bachelor's and master's degree in psychology. She spent most of her 34 years chronically single, sprinkled, of course, with many dating adventures and beautiful brief relationships. Whitney has just opened her own private practice in the Bay Area and has begun to speak more openly on her ideas about the return of the divine feminine to our world and how it can begin to change the experience of life on our planet. These ideas form the concept of Women Waken, her website and passion project. She also works part-time at a drug and alcohol rehab center, facilitating process groups and assisting clients in establishing a path to sobriety. She actually has a personal history of substance abuse recovery and dedicates much of her time to working within the addiction treatment community to give back. Whitney also devotes her time to supporting social, political, and environmental issues, as well as running several women's groups with friends and colleagues to explore their personal struggles, experiences, and concepts that women have, yet don't always have a safe and open forum to express. In addition to talk therapy, Whitney works as a spiritual guide. Her favorite offering is doing tarot readings for clients and friends. Whitney values intuition and authentic expression, whether in the therapy room or on the mean streets of dating and relationships. When working with clients, she focuses on restoring harmonic balance and creating alignment with one's outer expression and inner experience by identifying dysfunction and offering guidance towards healing. She strives to enable people to see their own unique abilities and intrinsic value in order to create a sense of empowerment and positive self-regard. And boy, do I think she did that when she read our cards because we were lucky enough to have her give us both tarot readings. And I gotta say, she definitely empowered me. I don't know about you, but we need to discuss what came up in these cards. Yeah, I felt empowered for sure. I felt like basically, if you guys are wondering about it, for me, it felt like 
whatever your gut feelings are, she just sort of helps you get in touch with that and then feel secure and trusting your gut. That's how I felt. So what did you feel like you got out of your reading, Jen? So I think that the cards that she pulled for me, every single card was very dead on in terms of what I already know to be true about myself. But the way she explained it based on its position and how they interact with each other, tell a different story than, you know, I would, not a different story, let's say, but a, they tell a story that supports what I either feel is coming for me or hope is coming for me. So in short, she told me about the high priestess that's in my uh, lineup of cards. There's basically this Prince Charming guy and both of them signal that they're present in my life, but their positioning made it seem like I don't trust my intuition, but I need to because I am all knowing. And then this Prince Charming guy is backwards, meaning he's in the like trajectory of my life, but he's just not here yet. And there's like some things that need to happen before that happens, not in the like deep, deep future, but like the near future. Also some other cards that came up for me where that I work really well in collaborative experiences and that I should put a lot of energy into that and that everything I'm doing is on the right track for what's to come, which is um, apparently I'm mastering the game of life and I'm going to be there in like soon. And also it's like a state of being versus just like a stepping stone. So it's, it's not like, and like an occurrence, but like, it'll be my future, let's just say. And that also I'm going to have a super abrupt change for the good in the near future as well. And then she also pulled a card that I thought was really interesting. It's like a hopes and fears card. And um, the way it was facing was reversed. So hopes were above fears. And she pulled that right before I think the last card, which was the, the big abrupt change. And so what she was explaining to me was that I could, you know, have more fears than hopes, but because the card was flipped, I have more hopes than fears. So in normal me fashion, when I got the card that was abrupt change, I said to her, I was like, well, I really hope it's positive change. She's like, of course you do. So when she explained all the cards in their order and their, their, you know, the direction they were facing. And as it relates to me, she also incorporated her like therapeutic sense. And I feel like she was telling me about my future, but in like the way of therapy. So it was like practical ap application versus just like, here's some mystical shit, go figure it out. You know, she really like made it seem so tactical that I could understand how it was going to actually transpire in my real life, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. That's the great thing about Whitney is that she marries both of those talents and skills of like the scientific therapy and then the more in touch with energy. Um, and I think both of them exist, both of those talents exist in like the emotional energetic world and the scientific world is just that one is more further on the scale than the other. And when you marry them together, you realize how connected they are and how complementary they are. Because I felt the same way about the reading she gave me. She pulled cards. They came out in a, obviously in a certain uh, order and then facing certain directions. So like 
For example, she pulled the uh, Spear Hollow card, but it was facing upside down, which meant that like normally that's you like going for your like goals and your dreams, but mine was facing upside down, which meant how she said it was like me maybe doubting myself, but that a whole bunch of other cards that she pulled basically said like, don't doubt yourself. Like historically you're at this place that you need to be. You've already made all of these foundations. You've already done all the things. So just do it because you know, if you just look back on everything you've done, that when you put your mind to something, you get it and it works. So like, why are you not just, you need to like concentrate on having a little bit more faith in yourself, which is totally, I mean, like, I think we all struggle with that, but like, so maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that card could like apply to anybody. But like, for me, it really does. Like, it's a note that I get from a lot of people in a lot of different aspects of my life. So I think that makes sense. Um, I got the sword maiden and I believe that one and the grail maiden, I think those are again, like those cards that are really telling you that you are doing the right thing. You know what you want. You're going to get it. So just do it. Also, there was a lot of like, everything around you is really beautiful. When she pulled all my cards before she read them individually, she said, this is a really beautiful, um, like deck of cards, I guess, or, um, or like reading here. And all of these cards that I'm pulling are all about beauty. Like you dreamt all of these things and now they're here. So like focus on the fact that you are in it and don't think about the past or the future, just focus on the beauty that's all around you right now. And I do feel like even though 2020 has been kind of crazy for a lot of people and me included, like there has been many things that have like come to fruition very fast for me as well. Like buying a house and having a baby and like my relationship and my romantic relationship and all that. So it did all happen really fast. I think that that was dead on right. Um, So it was interesting to see that some things that she wouldn't know were correct, like all of the beauty around me. And then some things about that, again, that she wouldn't know that like, I kind of doubt myself sometimes or that like, she would have no idea that there, if I put my mind to things, they happen. When I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that has happened here, here and here. So again, trusting your gut, really paying attention to what's going on in your life and the signs that are being shown to you. And like, this is a, a way to guide you and navigate you and point things out like pay attention to the perspective that you have because it could be, you could be missing something or focusing on the wrong thing, or maybe you're focusing on the right thing. But I think tarot and a tarot card read like this, it really helps clarify because clearly we could just be, you know, who knows? I feel this, but who knows this? I really do feel like it made me feel more confident in like what I'm feeling and then acting on it potentially. Yeah. I mean, it's I, like you're saying, like how they overlap. It's, you know, I think a shortcut into, let's say you just start working with a therapist for the first time and they don't know your history. If they pulled your cards, you can almost react to them, catching them up and saying like, answering what each of those cards ends up meaning for you when they start to explain, you know, the general meaning of them in the, in the deck. But I think with Whitney not knowing you at all prior to your call, it's interesting that like you can essentially fill in those gaps by 
explaining what the beauty is or by all of these different things or the fact that if it's that same one note about trusting yourself and like historically speaking that you know you've always made it through or whatever the case may be like it's the condensed version of your life and discussing how to move forward with it so yes I think it's like really a cool way to bridge the gap between the two fields and also interestingly enough what I was watching like some show I cannot remember what but oh maybe cursed or something on Netflix but it's about like the pagans during the time of like King Arthur and like the crusaders were trying to get rid of all the pagans which were really like the mystical people and like imagine had they not wiped out all the pagans we would have probably had eastern medicine sooner we would have had more mainstream tarot card readers and therapists like would have been less taboo many 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 moons ago people probably would have resolved their issues and been more enlightened like i kind of think like human beings continue to do the wrong things because they are afraid of enlightenment and what that means to like be better and no more and like they wiped everybody out like what was hello and now we've got modern day mystics and things and like we couldn't want that more because we just want answers so like we celebrate them now I think you're right I think that those things put a stifle on humans operating on a different level of energy. I think people are starting to learn that they can vibrate on a higher level, a higher energy level. Um, and I think that because of things like this that are becoming more socially acceptable or like just regarded as actual things and not just hocus pocus, then I think that this is helping everyone evolve into that, that, energy level, that energy field that is basically everything is connected. Um, and I think people just sort of laughed that shit off before, but it's, it's really true. I believe it's really true. And I think on a smaller scale, it just goes back to the fears like you're talking about. Those are, you know, in a microcosm of relationships, like people act mess up relationships and we'll get into that with Whitney again because she's a therapist so she can she can speak on that professionally like people do things that sabotage relationships or or just anything in their life personal professional romantic and it comes from a fear so I do think that that on a smaller scale fear is is a real thing that people can personally relate to and then like you're saying you know fear stopped people from being able to practice certain types of beliefs, like you said, in the show you're watching. So again, everything's connected. And we're just so excited to have Whitney um, here to point all those things out and talk in more detail about it. Absolutely. And also, like, how can you not believe it? Or at least I'm going to choose to believe that my reading was accurate when multiple people have said similar things to me in the past so when the and like the recent past they're all like a bit lined up in terms of timing and subject matter so I'm just gonna choose to believe it as you should she loves discourse and discussions of all kinds and believes that conversation and connection are the means for true change and greater understanding welcome to the show Whitney hi thank you so much for having me ladies of course. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that it is pretty crazy in the world right now between the pandemic, social unrest, uh, you know, an election this year, and now there are fires near you. How on earth are you doing during all of this? Uh, 
I'm doing well, um, which I think is anyone's sentiment who's currently able to, you know, pay their rent and, um, you know, stay afloat in this time, who's healthy. Um, but, you know, still a lot of dis-ease and uncertainty like everybody else. I personally, um, my family's in a hotel room right now because of the fires. So yeah, so it, it's, it's, and it's so smoky here. You know, I just had to drive to go lead a group and, um, you know, the visibility is difficult. It's um, unhealthy air quality. So yeah, it's definitely a precarious time in so many ways. Yeah, it's actually kind of like crazy how that metaphor is really um, like perfect for what's going on right now. Like it's hard to see the future right now. And so like it's the visibility is not good. Like it's true. So then you walk outside and you're like, wow, I feel like this is an embodiment of everything I'm feeling and the world right now. You know, it's like so uncertain and it doesn't feel safe in a lot of ways and hazardous. And yeah. Yeah. And you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what's going to happen between now and the end. It's like so much is literally up in the air. And the second you make a plan, like you're like, okay, cool. I think I've got this down. Then like something radically changes and then you can't do it. Or you just, it's like, I, you just have to live day by day. This is like a lesson for me to just be in the moment because I could not through pregnancy and like this pandemic could not have a plan. Like I had no idea if my partner was going to be able to be in the room with me when having the baby until like the day I went checked in, which was random because it was like uh, my water broke like a little early. So it was like, I had no idea. It was anyway. So it's just a lesson to teach everyone to like, try to be in the moment, but that's why we've got experts like you, Whitney, who are obviously you are a therapist and you're, you know, you have this wonderful tarot card reading gift that we were so, so excited to have you um, share with us and like, you know, help uncomplicate things. That's how it felt for Jen and I. And so to add in another layer of complication, which is always comes with dating and relationships, your relationship status right now is that you're dating somebody. And how do you keep that uncomplicated with all this other crap that's going on? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a challenging time to be dating, especially for new relationships, which is mine is, is a new relationship. Um, it's, you know, the extra tension, the, um, just the different changes, the, um, needing to adapt in so many ways. Um, and it just, you know, in general, it it brings up a lot of, um, questions and just a lot of sensitive topics, um, that people usually don't, might not get into until later on in a relationship, but it's kind of bringing it to the foreground, um, you know, because there's such an emphasis on safety. So you have to have some of these conversations that, you know, are a little bit, they're kind of a buzzkill, right? For a new relationship. <laughs> like nobody really wants to talk about whether it's safe to actually see the person that you're trying to date or be intimate, you know, because of the, the current societal conditions. I mean, listen, I am with you there. That, that is an awkward, like it, it, all of it is so weird and complicated. Like you said, like I have to wonder, okay, I hadn't like kissed anybody in this whole time because I'm trying to like be health conscious and, you know, let alone even see somebody in person. And so then like I gave in to that premise and was like, okay, like we went on a date, like first kisses are part of this process. And like, I allowed it to happen and then had this major layer of guilt that came over me and fear like I've never had before. Granted, all people could carry all kinds of illnesses. This is the only one people are really talking about out loud that is affecting everybody. So I feel like it is more of a 
common topic versus like a taboo topic, but it felt so uneasy for me to have that experience and almost an unpleasant one because immediately I switched to fear and all of those complicated feelings. So I I don't even know, like, it's like the weirdest time right now for romance. If it's ever been unsexy, this is the time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it it brings up these big sort of underlying emotions that, you know, we, we don't usually approach in, in, you know, early relationships or when you're dating even, which is, you know, having to tell somebody, I'm, I'm really nervous. I really like you. I really want to get to know you, but um, I have a lot of reservations because of this and I'm going through a lot of fear. Um, And normally, you know, we kind of hold those back or don't share. And so, you know, it can be a good thing to kind of be more open, um, but it just kind of brings up some of those more um, difficult channels to navigate at a, at an earlier point. Yeah. It's like, that must be a new trend or maybe it's not yet, but will be like a new trend that you, maybe you hear within your friends or like as a therapist that you see in your sessions regarding relationships, like, um, Hey, how do I tell this guy or girl that I'm dating that I'm like, having a lot of fear surrounding like getting intimate with them. It could be some new part of like the trends that you see. I know there's other trends too, like ego versus heart, for example. Is that like when someone says like, oh, my head tells me to do something different than my heart tells me to do. Is that like the same thing? And if so, explain like ego and what it means, because I think a lot of people misuse that term. Yeah. So I usually work with my clients on this when I when I ask them to kind of check in when they're having a response. It's often with a breakup, right? Somebody's been seeing somebody and they get they are dumped and they're like this hurts so much, I'm so sad and I say, "Well, where is this coming from? Is this is it coming from a place where you're questioning yourself? Does it feel like a blow to your pride, to your ego? Is it is it making you feel like it's you're wounded um as far as, you know, questioning your worth or questioning whether you're desirable?" Or is it a genuine, you know, you're drawn still to this person, you still you felt this connection, you want more of it. And it's a, it's, it feels really, you know, sad, um, like a big loss. So I feel like it's kind of checking into to kind of see what's going on. And I always say that it's, if it's your ego, it's just a bruising, and it goes away pretty fast. But you know, they say a broken heart, it's, it's, it feels a lot more significant, and it, and it feels more emotional, I think. Okay, that makes sense. Um, And I think that would help people kind of understand at least the difference of how to start identifying things to even ask a therapist, because sometimes you got to go in with a little knowledge, like, I'm feeling this help me identify it. I mean, at least it puts you a couple steps ahead when trying to get to the bottom of of an issue and those trends that you might be seeing or feeling behavioral patterns, all of it. Speaking of trends, would you say then that maybe this whole thing that we're experiencing in 2020, and obviously before and we touched on some of these in past years, like as it relates to social unrest and we've seen fires before and we've seen certain things, but this is like the culmination of all of them at one time. And everyone is talking about it. I mean, this whole year we've talked about it on the podcast. So do you think that it is actually opening people up to discuss their fears more and uh, communicate more about what's on their mind? Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's important for us to discuss with with others and especially those we might want to have a relationship with. What are we thinking about? What's most important to us? You know, what do we spend our time focused on? And I think that the conditions right now really bring to the forefront, you know, what we do care about and where where our, you know, intentions are and cuz our concerns really can highlight, you know, what's important. 
You know, we get worked up about something, we get fearful because something we care about is questioned. Um, and so when you share that, that, that creates a certain amount of intimacy, a good amount of intimacy where you're saying like, wow, this is really hard for me. Um, like something with, with, you know, the person I'm dating, a lot of people right now is when we have parents who are elderly. And so such a, the biggest concern is, are they going to be okay? Or am I going to, you know, pass this on to them, even if I'm not symptomatic. So those kind of conversations are, you know, we have to express like, Hey, you know, I'm not trying to be distant from you, but I'm, I'm really struggling with something. I'm really anxious because of, you know, these concerns that are coming up for me. So I think it is, you know, really kind of bringing around this, this more transparency, we need to kind of be open with somebody because it's affecting us so, so greatly in our interactions. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I completely understand. I think that's a really relatable thing to say. Everyone's feeling that way. And it's hard to when you're having fear and anxiety, it really is especially hard to feel vulnerable or feel open just because there's like that nervous energy there. So like I know for one, I deal with anxiety. It's like kind of hard for me to be rational in an anxious moment. So like knowing that that might exist for you and trying to just like take a deep breath and ground yourself in those moments of like, okay, I'm about to be vulnerable. Potentially I need to really like take a deep breath and just like realize it's okay. This is just fear. Everyone kind of feels like this at times. You're not alone type of a thing. These things really can affect relationships and other things that it can affect relationships greatly are attachment styles. And we have talked about that on this show before, but I think we all need a refresher. Like there's certain types of attachment styles that can affect relationships. And what are those, those styles? And then like, I guess, I don't know, how, how do you identify that you're whichever one you are? Yeah, um, attachment styles are, are very, they're very helpful to, uh, to really sort of shed some light on why people act and engage the way they do in relationships. Um, and, you know, I think it plays into kind of what we're saying is that, you know, yeah, we can be honest with the person we're dating about what this, you know, the current state is kind of bringing up for us, or we might just hide it because that might be sort of our, you know, MO is to avoid talking about things. Um, and that kind of leads into attachment, which is that, you know, the way that we feel comfortable with engaging with each other, with whoever we're seeing kind of plays, it's a lot to do with our past. It's a lot to do with any, you know, trauma we might've experienced, um, that have led us to feel safe in certain ways. We're all trying to feel safe in a relationship, right? And some people more than others are easily triggered by something to feel either fearful or to, um, you know, sort of feel like they want to to move away from something, to avoid something in order to avoid feeling something, right? So the three types then, or the three main types, because there's like a couple other types, right? What are the three? Secure, anxious, yeah. and avoidant? Yes. Uh, secure, anxious, and avoidant. So I'm actually reading a book now called Attached. I just finished it actually today. It's fantastic. Um, Amir Levine is the, the name of the author. And it, it just, it's, there's a lot of books on attachment theory. It's, you're, it's across the board. You're going to kind of see the same thing, obviously. But um, yeah, it's just kind of that, this really highlights how people can work together based on their attachment styles um, because certain attachment styles are really not very compatible with one another and really kind of play on each other's vulnerabilities and, and you know, when they get defensive and struggle. So for example, somebody who's anxious is are the types that are just so worried that they're going to push them away. Someone's going to leave them. Someone's not going to want them anymore. Um, they really want to feel secure, but they're constantly questioning that level of security. So that, you know, we've probably all been there where it's really hard to, you know, just be with somebody because they might always be asking like, well, what did that mean? And why did you say that? And why didn't you call me? And, you know, someone who's really always kind of reaching, right? Yeah. Reaching to you. 
Um, and then there's the avoidant type. And, you know, avoidance are kind of opposite. They, in the book, it notes that, um, you know, an avoidant is somebody who values independence over a relationship. So they're the ones who are always going to be like quick to, you know, release. They'll be like, ah, oh, this ain't working. This is, you know, cramping my style. This does not suit me. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I expected. I'm out, you know, or at the first sign of, you know, any sort of criticism, any sort of feedback, they, they say, no, you know, if you, if you, okay, if you don't like me, then see you later. Um, so there's, there's two sort of different ends of the, the spectrum in that way. And those kind of play into, it's sort of one in the same of this personal narrative that you tell yourself probably due to something that happened in your past that then affects how you engage openly with people in dating and relationships. Like those kind of interconnect because it makes you either secure, anxious, or avoidant. And and so it's kind of good to identify which one you are so that you can try to maybe identify what traumatic thing happened in the past that then triggers you now to act that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I love doing couples work. I love doing couples therapy. It's probably my favorite thing to do. Um, it's just so dynamic and you get so involved. My friend and I joke that like you work up a sweat, like you literally walk out of the, the session, like sweating when you do a couples therapy, cause you're like the ref on the field and you're watching like each person's response and reaction. You're trying to connect all the, the dots and provide some helpful, you know, facilitation. Um, but, um, you know, something that you notice is that people are so stuck in their own narrative that they almost don't even recognize the other person as having their own unique experience that they might not have any insight into, but they think they do, right? Wow. Because they're telling themselves. I mean, we all tell ourselves certain narratives, you know, oh, well, you know, this person, you know, that's about me, what they did. They're upset because of me. Um, they're going to leave me or whatever it is. And we get stuck on our own story. And I see this in such session a lot, even individually, where somebody's telling me about like this relationship that didn't work and they're only really talking about themselves and they're just making these declarations like, well, this person was like this and this. And I said, you know, I'll say, are you, did you really give them a chance? Like, are you really allowing them to have their own experience or are you just deciding that you know what their experience is without them really even being, being able to share it with you? And that makes it really hard to have a relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, that also being tied into attachment styles, and I'm sure, you know, someone that's anxious has already made up their mind about what the other person's going to do, which is why they're anxious. And somebody avoidant who's already got their foot out the door has already decided as well. But you had mentioned that there are oftentimes like two cannot go together and that, that will be like combustible. Is there a way though to grow into different attachment styles? Like, I remember I took a test recently. I was listening to the Jay Shetty podcast on uh, attachment styles, actually. And um, he gave the quiz. And, you know, if you get mostly A's, you're one. If you get mostly B's, you're a different one. And C's, you're something else. So I happen to get secure where I'm at in my life right now. Had I taken Whoa. two years ago, I would You're a unicorn, Jen. You're, that's so beautiful and rare. And well, you're the one that everyone's looking for. <laughs> they haven't found me yet, apparently. But I... <laughs> also can like I think it's a growth thing like I wouldn't say that I was secure two years ago maybe three okay. years, whatever it was and I think you know he also mentioned that sometimes you can you can meet somebody in the middle and and but it sounds to me like and maybe this is wrong or you'll tell us but a secure person could be with either anxious or avoidant but anxious and avoidant could not be together is that right that's what they say. Um, but to your exact point is that it's the, the idea that let's say an anxious and avoidant meet, 
if they're both willing to work on themselves and the relationship, they can get to a place of being a secure, right? Because as you said, it, it, if you identify that you are more one, you know, anxious or avoidant, then you're acknowledging that there's something that's, you know, that needs to be healed for you. There's something that's keeping you from be being able to engage with somebody securely. And anyone, you know, nobody t is sets out being perfect or being even just being able to engage in a healthy manner. We all have coping mechanisms. We all have, you know, means of trying again to feel secure, to feel safe. So as, if you're able to see that and do the work, then I think anyone can make it to at least a more secure condition. We might still have tendencies, one or the other, um, to be a little bit anxious, to be a little um, avoidant. But if we can identify that and see when we tend to go there and share that with our partner, then we won't push them away, you know, which, and that is the, you know, the relationship killer is when th these styles are so powerful that they just completely prevent us from, from being able to get to a secure place and yeah. be with somebody really. And people don't even know that that's what's happening. It's just like, it's spun out of control and then we grew apart or whatever. Like yeah. this would help you identify, I mean, relationships take work. And even if you are, mm -hmm. let's say you're anxious, like, and you, that's how you operate. I've never taken the test. I'm sure that I'm anxious. <laughs> I'm sure that that is my thing, but I'm going to take the test and, and I will get back to you all on that. But I'm pretty sure it's anxious. Like I can move into being secure. I could move. I could also move into being avoidant. Maybe like, what if you are okay? Like for Jen, for example, she's secure. Well, could she move into avoidant and then like not know what if she's like, well, I'm the secure one. So it's not like, that's not me. Or what if I think I'm the anxious one? So I just blame myself, but I've actually moved into secure. So I don't, how do you know? I mean, I guess you just have to constantly check in, but my ultimately my question is, can you move in and out depending on what's happening in your life? Yeah. And I think that's why awareness is just, just like anything else is the most important thing because we're nobody, you know, I mean, being a therapist, you often tell your clients that, you know, we're not about trying to get you to a, a, you know, enlightened state where you're just never upset and you're never depressed or, or anxious or, or anything. Um, it's just about getting you the means of I, being able to identify and be aware of when you're moving into this place so that you can move back, you know, sort of, I, I, I focus a lot on alignment. I use that word a lot in my work. And it's because we know that we're most aligned with ourselves and what's important to us when we, when we feel secure, when we feel safe, when we feel that we're speaking from, you know, sort of what um, a lot of theories call like your wise mind, right? You're calm, you're collected, you're speaking truthfully. And, you know, we all know we've been in relationships where we get angry and we're not speaking from, from kindness. We're not speaking from compassion. We're, we're worked up, right? But sometimes that's just natural. It's, and sometimes it's just natural to be a little bit anxious, to question like, why didn't you call me after this? You know, that you knew this was important to me. Why, why didn't you? Um, or to be like, you know what, I just, I, I really just need some time away from you. I'm irritated, whatever it is. So, you know, yes, we can always, we'll probably always move back and forth, but it, it's about at the end of the day, can we end up back in a secure state where we can say, Hey, I'm worked up right now, but us being together is more important than how I'm feeling. And so let's try to find our way back to that, to that secure common ground. And that's actually exactly what mindset I was in when I took the quiz, because it was like, let's just say six questions. The first two, I got anxious. And the last, uh, like, let's say four or however many more there were, I got secure. So like by mm -hmm. average, it would be secure. But so when I was answering the questions, I answered in today's gen 
state, knowing, like reflecting on the past and like where I might've chosen a different answer, but why I know now that that is not a healthy relationship. And I, if I encountered that feeling, I would try and again, align myself, like you said, Whitney, to my like homeostasis and realize, you know, maybe my mind is going somewhere else, right? Evaluate where these thoughts are coming from because I now have different tools than I did when I was in my worst relationship where I was entirely anxious and my worst version of myself. So I happened to be with an avoidant person when I was my most anxious. So now I also know avoidant people trigger anxiety for me. So because I did all of this work, thanks to this podcast and just self-exploration and wanting to be better, I now, I think, have a clearer picture of what those moments look like for me. So I answer differently than I would have if I took this quiz however long ago. And I think, Lauren, you'd probably end up getting a different answer than you might think because of where you're at now versus like anxiety in general versus anxiety in a relationship. Right. Yeah. I know my homeostasis is like a little neurotic anxious. So like, I just think that, but yeah, you're right. I could be somewhere else or who knows, but that is actually like really smart to have the way you answer the questions instead of just like reverting back to your like default mode. You're like, no, 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 that was old Jen. Like that was before, maybe I lived in that state for a while, but like now that I know these things about myself, I can answer the questions this way, which is like, a really, really awesome, like I said, self-reflection slash living in the moment, which are both really, really hard to do. Thanks. Now let's see what happens because where the hell is this guy? But we'll talk about that when we get into our tarot card readings for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Whitney, you know, obviously we're all three gals on this call, but do you notice a difference in the narrative between men and women or like if men fall more avoidant or women fall more anxious? Is there like any sort of trends in that area that you see between the sexes? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I see a surprisingly high amount of um, anxious men in relationships um, that, you know, they, they, they tend to, and maybe these are just the ones that find themselves in a therapy room, but just really overanalyze and just kind of replay certain things and really get stuck on certain things. So I would say more, you know, tend to be more anxious. Um, you know, there are of course some men that are, you know, just, um, will just kind of push things aside and don't, are just not wanting to attach. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, you know, you would think that, that, or it might seem that, that women tend to be more anxious because we're all these, we're the ones who are always talking about it, right? Like this, this show, you know, both of you women who are wanting to allow others to kind of share their struggles with dating because it's hard. Um, but there aren't so many outlets for, for men. And it's not really, I don't think as expected for men to kind of have these same struggles. Yeah. So. I think that is totally it hit the nail on the head. It's like the societal norms of like the men are the tough guys and the women are the emotional bitches or whatever, like whatever it is. But like, I think that's why I think that for me, for example, like I couldn't be with a guy who isn't able to talk about his anxieties, his fears or any of even the good, right? Like that's like a non-negotiable for me. Like you need to be able to talk about things and it's okay if you're anxious. Like I, in fact, like don't want to be with someone who can't talk about it. Cause I know it is, it happens to everyone. I'm like a realistic person. So if you're acting like you're not anxious and not talking about it, that's like a no for me, because I know that you're 
feeling it. And so that to me means you're like avoiding talking about it. And so that's like a thing for me. How, speaking of non-negotiables, how can you help people or how have you helped people understand what their non-negotiables are in a relationship instead of just like, oh, maybe something more um, surface, like I'm attracted to this or that, like, what is the difference between a non-negotiable and just like a thing you prefer? Absolutely. And and that's, you know, that's like the essence of the work that I, I try to focus on doing with people is, um, you know, again, going back to alignment, but also, you know, the, the idea of the authentic self, but um, it's really about knowing yourself and, and, you know, put the relationship aside for a second, because no relationship can grow without a solid foundation, right? Um, it can't grow out of something that you're not really investing in that you're not cultivating. And in order to know what we, what we truly want and need from a relationship, we need to understand ourselves because otherwise we're just running after these things that we think we need or that we think, you know, are essential, um, to, for us to, to be okay and feel safe. But, you know, until we really identify what we're about, um, it's hard to know what your non-negotiables are because you're probably willing to negotiate on your terms, you know? Okay. Well, you know, this guy isn't this and he's not that, but you know, he's here and he seems to like me. Um, so I think it's really about getting to yourself, you know, doing the work on yourself for first, exploring yourself and knowing for yourself what, what's important to you, you know, cause until you know that, how would you know what a non-negotiable is, you know? Absolutely. And so once people, though, find a relationship, they sometimes can get stuck in patterns or ruts, let's just say. And that's like when people, you know, feel like their relationship loses their luster. Maybe they start questioning whether they should move on to the next relationship. How can they recognize when this is happening or potentially work on preventing this so that they can grow and and compromise together versus break up? Yeah, well it's because that's when the work comes in. Right. And I think that that's sort of the illusion of relationships is that they're always going to be like sort of magical and pleasant and they always need to feel good in order for them to be good. And that's just not true. You know, it's not true of anything. It's, it's not true of, you know, a, um, you know, our jobs or a profession, um, of our friendships or relationships. Sometimes there's going to be, um, challenges and, and difficulties and things that are uncomfortable, um, and so if we're, you know, kind of only willing to, and, and I think that's, you know, the strong um, distinction between a non-negotiable and something that just requires some, some greater communication and, and work is, um, you know, is this something that, that we can explore each other's perspective and opinion on, or is this so fundamental that it, it literally prevents us from growing together? You know, sort of the same as attachment. It's like, can we both ground ourselves enough, even though we tend towards this or that, or are we both just so, you know, separated on these things that we'll never be able to grow in a healthy manner? So I think that that sort of, you know, that's what people can look at when they're when they're asking that big question, because it's a big question, you know, okay, do I keep going? Do I keep trying to work at this? Or is this just a no-go? Is this just trying to, you know, make something come of, of something that just isn't really, doesn't seem very natural and doesn't seem like it has, you know, the materials needed to grow? Because I think that's true. I think there are certain you know, compatibilities that just aren't there. You know, there's different interests, there's different beliefs, there's, and, but also it's, it's a willingness on both people's parts, right? Like somebody asked me recently, they said, well, what do you think is the key to relationship working? And I said, well, of course it's communication. You have to be able to work things out and express yourself, but also it depends, do these people really want this relationship? 
You know, I mean, do you really want to be together? Because a relationship is is tough. You know, there's going to be times where you're really going through the mud with it and you're working through things. And if you don't really want to be together and have that person as your partner, you might not want to do that work, you know? Yeah. And, and it might actually be that you have to do the work on yourself and to wonder why you stayed in it for so long, potentially, or maybe why you didn't want to make it work. But um Speaking of making things work, sometimes, like me, for instance, I get dating fatigue because I'm trying and trying and trying to make these apps work and, and find the one and I take different approaches and I change my profile and I swipe and look at different criteria and I'm like, okay, let me be more open-minded now. So I might give somebody I wouldn't necessarily give a chance a chance. And I like pivot probably once a month in terms of my approach just because I feel like maybe it's me and I'm stagnant or I'm doing the wrong thing because Mm -hmm. how on earth are we to know what is right in the app world when it's so new and then we see other people have success stories but you don't have it so like you're left to kind of blame yourself so at that point would you say that's dating fatigue or how would you know when you really have had it yeah I think that uh the dating fatigue comes, it is, it's that continual effort that you're describing where you are just like continuously trying to shift your, your approach and try it one more time. I know for me, I'm, I'm was so on and off apps like, you know, okay, yes, let's do this. This is fun. And at first it is fun, right? You just swiping all these people and seeing what's out there and, oh, that person messaged me and this is exciting. And then that wears off, you know, and it, and it does become, it takes work, you know, like I always say that, that it's a part-time job being on dating apps and trying to find a partner that way or find dates because you got to keep at it, right? You got to get, it's, it's kind of like being in sales. You got to get the numbers up. You have to make sure you're making enough outreach and that you're following up and that you're doing the work, right? And that's, those are tiring. You know, we, we work enough at our jobs and wanting, having to go back to that at the end of your day, it's like you have two jobs. Oh, and- literally no job, but like, okay. So for instance, I feel like it's strength in numbers as well. And also that helps you narrow down like what you're looking for, or what you don't like or whatever the case may be. And kind of like a cross your T's kind of theory. But so I have a friend though, that's like, I don't want to scorch earth date. I want to be really diligent about who I go out with. And I, and I only want to go out with people that I actually see a future with, but like my argument is how do you see a future with somebody you literally do not know and you're only seeing in an app? So how is it that you're able to decipher that? And I guess people just have different approaches. So like I, maybe everyone needs to take a break and come back. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely times to for a reprieve from dating to do, you know, kind of take what you've learned from this you know, this session, this exploration, however many dates you went on, whatever worked, whatever didn't, and take some time to, you know, take a break and go within and see what's going on with you. Um, but I don't know. I feel like when you're going for it, I think the more dates that you go on, you you learn a little from every date. I think that dating is so much like looking for a job and the way that when you, I don't think that there's ever a wasted interview. I always tell people that, you know, if you're, if you're interviewing, you always learn about, you know, your strengths and, you know, your focus and your experience. And it's good to speak that out loud. And it's same with dating. You know, a date is an opportunity to sort of share with somebody who you are and what you're interested in and what you're looking for. And whether that person ends up being somebody you date, you're still at least getting a a practice run in for when it is kind of more of a a substantial or real deal situation. Yeah, it's, 
again, that vulnerability of telling people, sharing with people who you are, it can be kind of off-putting. But if we all understand, or scary, you know, for lack of a better word, if we all understand that that's sort of what we're all doing, we're all, you know, coming to the table, hoping that the person you're sitting across from is the one. Like, we all want it to be that, I'm sure. And we all feel these feelings of, like, fear and, okay, I've got to open up eventually. So, like, if we can all just understand that we're all on that playing field, I think it helps, like, take away some of the fear and anxiety. And speaking of, like, really, you know, telling people, opening up and telling people who you really are, like, for example, you work a lot of with people in recovery from addiction and you have personal experiences with that as well. First thing is, do you recommend that people in recovery like come out the gate with that maybe like on the first date or in an app like it just say it right away? Is that something that you think should come quickly or something that you open up to like earning trust or, or something like I think like that, that. It, it's totally up to the individual. Um, you know, speaking for myself, um, I decided to get sober six years ago um, and went through, you know, recovery programs and, and did the work to to really get sober because it, it was impacting my life and, it, and addiction is, is a concern and an issue for me. Um, and so when I first started dating, I was so, you know, deep in this question of, you know, because so much of dating involves drinking. Um, you know, whether you're going out for, um, a happy hour or really if you're just trying to plan the first date, I haven't had anybody ask me on a first date without mentioning drinks. I don't think, um, maybe a few times, you know, after I established that I was sober. Um, but most people that's going to be their opening line. Right. So I was very intimidated at first and didn't know what to say. Cause you know, you don't, you're, there's that fear of like, well, what are they going to ask me? Why? And do I explain it? So exactly what you're, you know, post positing is, is what I experienced. And, and, what I recognize now is I didn't have to say anything, you know, you just say, Oh, I'd actually like to meet for coffee. That's my preference. And I think it's up to the person. I mean, of course, as you get closer and if it starts to seem significant, um, that's an important part of your life and who you are. So when you're ready and you feel that this person has kind of earned that knowing, you know, that, that, um, sort of part of you when you're ready to share it. But up until then, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it, you, you can share it or you don't have to. Are there other specific challenges that somebody in recovery might face when dating? Like, for instance, should they even date somebody who does drink or potentially do recreational drugs? Or maybe is there like a time frame for when they should not date at all between recovery and when they start dating? Yeah. Um, so part of my work is, is, as, a, is as a recovery coach. Um, and so what I encourage, I mean, 12-step programs, various programs will, they advise people not to drink in the first year. Um, and I think there's um, a lot of reasoning behind that and that it's it's just such a, a vulnerable time. Um, you're really kind of just like this raw nerve when you first, first get sober. You're kind of learning how to experience things um, without your addiction, um, without engaging in it. You're, you know, it, it's a challenging time and it can easily be compromised, right? We're, you're, we're, we're learning how to feel emotions without using something to try and numb them or try and change our feelings. And so throw a relationship in there and, you know, there's nothing like a relationship to kind of throw you into a tailspin or a frenzy or anxiety. Um, but, you know, I think, but there are also know some people who, you know, they met someone amazing in the first few months of sobriety and it just clicked. So again, I think it's, it's kind of having to trust yourself and, and gauge, okay, is this something that I want to test the waters of when I'm so 
new to sobriety or does this feel like something that, you know, could actually be really healthy? So I, I wouldn't say like a hard no or yes, but I think it's important to have, whether it's a therapist or a mentor or, you know, a coach, whatever it is to kind of be you're checking in with. Um, so to see how it's affecting you and how you feel you're navigating that relationship. Yeah, that uh, speaking of coaches or a mentor or something of that nature, a lot of people have a psychic or a guru or a tarot card reader that they reach out to in times like this, when you need to reflect, when you need to have some guidance or have some really deep questions that can take you to the next step of this, like, you know, fence that you might be on. And especially in dating and relationships, it probably comes up often. So you also, in addition to your therapy, are a tarot card reader, like we've mentioned, and we we're just so pumped to have our cards read by you because it was just so awesome. So how did you get into tarot card reading? How, I mean, what, how did you connect that with your therapy and like what type of readings yeah. do you um, offer? Well, so I was going to mention this before we were talking about dating, but um, another re- reason, Jen, why I, I encourage momentum in the dating, like just meeting a bunch of people is I've I've many times I've met somebody after like a long stint on dating apps didn't go well. And then somebody showed up and that's actually how I met the the person that I'm dating right now is on um, New Year's Eve. I went to this party and I just gotten off apps because I, you know, reached that fatigue point where I was like, I'm over it. It's a new year. I'll start again next year. But right now I just want to be single. And, you know, in walks this guy who's like sexy and intriguing. And I was like, who is this? Um, and at that same party, uh, somebody had brought a bunch of tarot decks and I'd done tarot once or twice. Someone had done my cards for me and I was never into it. You know, I really kind of always questioned like fortune tellers or any of that. I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. What if they tell me something bad? And then I always am afraid of, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Um, but I, when my, my friend who did it for me a few times, it was just so much more about, um, really sort of gentle insight and thought provoking ideas through, you know, various themes or archetypes that can't come through the cards. Um, so this, this woman at this party did my reading for me. And, um, afterwards she looked at me and she, she said, this deck doesn't belong to me anymore. This is for you. Um, and so that kind of gave me chills and seemed pretty significant. Um, so I took it home and just started working with it, um, and kind of studying the cards and learning about tarot um, and started doing readings for friends. And I, I just really love that it's sort of this, this middle ground, you know, as a therapist, um, therapy is so vulnerable and you're really going in there to heal. It's, it's, it is very, um, you know, serious work that you're asking someone to really kind of open up and kind of go deep. Um, but another component is that, you know, when people come into therapy, they're really only accessing what comes to them and sort of like the, their forebrain you know, their conscious level, they're, they're telling you what they struggle with and what they're aware of that is problematic. But, you know, so much of what we deal with is in our subconscious, right? It's from our past, it's from our trauma, it's stuff that we don't have the immediate access to. And I just find that there's something about tarot that really allows you to explore ideas that aren't in your forefront. You kind of see things that are maybe in like your side view or just tucked away back there that you hadn't really thought about. And the cards bring it through or the reader brings it through and it makes you think about things. Um, so I, I don't use tarot in sessions, you know, as a therapist, but I, I think it's a, a, a valuable offering to those who aren't necessarily seeking therapy, but are just looking to really kind of sort things out or just sort of identify things that they can't quite put their finger on or wouldn't even know to consider. 
I'm well, to me, everything you said, like must be true, because it was so great. And one of the cards I think that you um, pulled for me was the Celtic version of the High Priestess. Now, like yeah. to me, she's like the most feminine gal around. What is the divine feminine? And how does it play into the cards and dating and all of that as it, you know, sort of circles around the importance of self-love and trust and intuition. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I love the the high priestess in the tarot deck. She's just this woman who's sitting on this throne and just has this knowledge of everything, you know, from in the spiritual capacity, but also in, in like this world realm and the physical realm and just this woman of, of knowledge and knowing. Um, and it, it is aligned a lot with, um, with a divine feminine, but a lot of the different archetypes from tarot are, you know, like the justice card that's all about truth and freedom and honesty and impartial, you know, justice for people. Um, and so to me, the idea of the divine feminine is it's the qualities that are, are really about, um, sort of, they're the grounding qualities. They're what, they're what enable, um, harmony and balance, um, for the individual, but also for the world, um, which is a big focus for me. And I, I think is, a, is of so important, so much importance, um, and I'm definitely not alone. There's, there's, it's, it's a huge move, a movement and a huge focus now for a lot of people um, in both the therapy, but also the spiritual realm um, who are, you know, really starting to talk about, we can't really ignore any longer that there's balance that's needed right now, as far as a presence of the divine feminine in our world, because we have such a, a, a pull and an unequal, um, you know, amount of masculine energy. And when I say that it's, it's not really even about like a woman or a male, it's, you could just see it as like the energies of the yin and the yang. Um, you know, there's, there's the desire to grow and have profit, um, and to innovate, but then you also need to find things that keep you balanced and keep things, you know, that homeostasis, that, that, you know, leveling, keeping us, um, balanced and, and keeping harmony and peace. Um, so that's what the divine feminine is and, and it's missing and it is like the yin to the yang that's we're, we're out of balance, you know? Yeah. The balance, speaking of things like this, I'm a Libra and balance is like, Ooh, you're the scale. Yeah. It major for me. If something feels unbalanced, even if it doesn't always positively affect me, like I don't like the way that feels. So I totally hear you on that. I think the world is feeling like a Libra right now. Like what in the hell is going on? Can we please find some balance? Because there was way too much of uh, panic and not enough disco as Jen and I laughed over a meme on Instagram. Like this, it's just, it's too unbalanced. And I think a lot of people you know, look for, they say they maybe they say there's a hole in my life or I feel incomplete or unbalanced and they look to finding a partner for that, to fill that void or, um, to help them feel balanced, or maybe they're in a relationship and it feels unbalanced. Like they're paying too much attention to their partner and not getting enough back or their partner's paying too much attention to work and not them. Like balance comes into play with everything. Um, and going back to that, like you complete me thing. I think we've talked about it a million times on the show. Like you have to feel complete yourself before you get into wanting to find someone to partner with. And that's how we feel on this on this show, I know Jen and I agree to that, but like, if you're trying to find your soulmate or like your twin flame, if you will, you probably should feel this sense of balance and completion first. What is the concept behind like twin flames and soulmates? And like, are, are they two different things? 
so there's a lot of different thoughts on this. Um, I've talked to a, a lot of friends who who do this, you know, sort of this sort of spiritual, more mystical work, and people actually have very differing views. Um, my my thought is that the twin flame is they're those relationships. Well, so the idea is that it's literally your mirror self. So it's kind of like your your soul or your essence that split in two before you came, um, you know, into existence. Um, and it's common that, you know, it's a belief that those, those two mirrored souls have lived many lives together. And each time they meet, it's because they're supposed to be working out, you know, their karma or, or growth or whatever they need to learn in this lifetime. And, you know, when we learn lessons, that's, that's when we're most challenged or when we're gaining, um, you know, strength, you got to be challenged for that. So they're the ones that kind of show up when you're really ready to do the work, but also have a meaningful relationship. Um, and whereas soulmate can kind of just be somebody you automatically really resonate with and really connect with a soulmate can be, you know, your best friend or someone you work with professionally or whatever it is, but you just feel like you really compliment, like you've known each other. And, you know, my thought is that you've, you've lived lives with them before. Cause I'm big into the concept of, of many lives and past lives and that our souls are, are busy and, um, have spent a lot of time kind of flying around to, to different lifetimes. Um, but yeah, so, so I think that, when you kind of encounter somebody that feels um, familiar in a way or just really comforting in a way, that could be a soulmate. Um, whereas somebody that really kind of challenges you, but it's really intense connection could be a twin flame. But again, there's there's different thoughts on that. Somebody, Some people kind of spin that the opposite way. They, they describe soulmates as twin flames and the other way, but that's kind of the notion. And so how do you then determine which one's which? Would one be like, if you find there's friction or challenge, that would be by your definition, twin flame. And if it's sort of more easy and like you said, familial, it would be soulmates. And like that would clarify it. Like how would somebody, I guess, know it's a twin flame versus just a really bad match? Well, again, so it's a concept of your mirror. So if they kind of press your buttons on the things that really kind of are your, kind of talk about like attachment style. So in, in a way that's almost, that that can indicate a twin flame is that somebody who really challenges you to look at why do you respond the way you do? you know? And, and as a therapist that comes up, you know, when people have strong responses, I say, awesome. Like this is a great opportunity. It's kind of like put it, pushing your finger on the place that hurts. And that's going to tell you where, you know, where the wound is, where you might have an infection, whatever it might be. Um, and so that's the, the idea is that, you know, this is someone who comes in when you're really ready to, to, to grow and change and evolve. You know, I think evolve is a key, a key word for a twin flame because it's the person that allows you to evolve. And again, if you believe in multiple lives or reincarnation, we live each life so that we may evolve and move on to a different life next time, a different, you know, experience, but we can't move on until we've, we've, you know, evolved to that point. So twin flame, the idea is that twin flame kind of helps you out, even though it might drive you a little crazy, which is interesting to me because, you know, and I know you all have talked about this in other shows is that when do you know whether someone is, is helping you grow in a healthy way or someone is really, it's kind of toxic in an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, that is so hard to tell because you then tell yourself like, well, you know, it, we have to, relationships take work. So then you confuse the work with like toxic, being okay with it being toxic. And it's like, you've got to be able to decide, I think whether you're more happy than sad or vice versa, then that is the difference between like just working at a relationship and something that's like living in the world of toxicity, like all the time. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's also about, you know, sort of as Jen said, like, can you go from, you know, being anxious or being avoidant and be secure? Um, I think that you, you know, whether or not something has the potential when you're both willing, when you're on the same page, as far as, okay, we both have histories, we both have tendencies to respond to certain situations. 
can we both both work to identify that and acknowledge that and do this work together? Um, and I think that makes all the difference. Whereas if only one person is even willing to acknowledge that they have these, you know, these this reactive nature or these, you know, these, these wounds from their past, that's not going to, that's not going to work. They're going to keep acting from, you know, sort of their, their pace of place of pain. Yeah. And do you think, so like speaking of types that make relationships work or don't work, like if you're not a twin flame or soulmate, can your relationship work? Because, okay. Like for example, when I met my friend, Noel, he felt instantly to me like familiar. Mm -hmm. And like, I instantly said to him, like, we must have been brothers in a past life or something because I joke. I'm like, I was definitely a dude. I don't know. Or (laughs) a million different things, but I'm like, we've all been, we've all been all of it. I know. And I'm like, I was definitely, we were brothers or something because there's zero chance there were, it felt so obvious to me. And I, I probably sounded like a crazy person, but he also then was like, yes, for sure. Cause he operates on that level too. And mm-hmm. it, it was so obvious to me. Like I joke, but like, I'm serious. I knew him in a past life for sure. He introduced me to my partner, <laughs> husband, baby daddy, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. And I feel like I, he, like, that is my connection, but I, I called this with him, this, this like brother in a past life thing before I even met my partner through him. So I don't know, like that feels very strong to me, but I still, I'm like, am I like with James, my partner, is he a twin flame or a soulmate? Like, I don't really know. Like, could I say either or I'm madly in love with him and he's the best guy ever, but like, I wouldn't just be like, oh yeah, he's definitely my soulmate or definitely my twin flame. Can you be in a relationship with somebody who is not either or are they, if that's who you're with? I, I say absolutely. You know, I think that, I mean, cause again, sometimes our twin flames or our soulmates are just guides. They're just people who, it sounds like your friend who kind of swoop in at the right moment to guide us towards the thing that we, they know that our, I call it our soul, that our soul is really looking for in this life. Um, and it might match us with somebody that we haven't worked with before in a lifetime. And so that would be, you know, somebody new. And um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, soulmates or twin flames can have so many different purposes. And it's, you know, if we spend our life thinking that we have to end up with romantically, we're kind of missing the point because, you know, really both roles aren't always romantic. As you said, like sometimes you meet a soulmate who was your brother in your past life or somebody else. And, and you know, they come into this life as, as your best friend. And, you know, it's just it, there's so much about trust when it comes to trusting that if you're in love and you're in a healthy relationship, that how wonderful, you know, yeah. and, and it doesn't really matter how it came about or, or what it might mean. It's just that's exactly, you know, what you're getting in this life and what you were looking for. Uh, yes, because then it became very obvious that James is was exactly what I was looking for. But that like Noel has to be this like soulmate type individual because it, it honestly was unmistakable for me. Like it, yeah. I knew him before, and that is that. It's like a non negotiable for me. <laughs> yeah. So okay, we clearly are big fans of you and the fact that your readings were so favorable, I think also supported that. And obviously we loved you anyway before the cards, but they really were so empowering and positive and wonderful. What would you say to somebody who is reluctant to have a reading done? And do you think that they should just dip their toe in to see what it's like, or maybe it's not the right time for them? 
Yeah. Before, so before I get into that, at first, I wanted to note that, you know, speaking of, of soulmates and people you meet, um, I was noticing that both of your readings, you guys both got a major iconic card, which is the the hermit or the grail hermit, which is, you know, very sort of wise and person who's, you know, explores themselves. So you guys both got that. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you all are working together <laughs> and doing this, you know, really wonderful, insightful um, uh, podcast together. So we love yeah. stuff like that. Kudos you're to not that. the first person who has said that to us because we you also are. had our like natal chart, our natal charts read, and there was some overlap there too with our signs in certain houses and certain places. So that is wonderful to hear again and again. I think that supports what I said earlier that it's hard not to believe these kinds of things are true when there's repetition involved, like you said some things that aligned with an astrology reading I had done prior that basically said September, certain things were going to happen. And so, you know, I choose to believe it. Lauren chooses to believe it. So what would you say to somebody though, that like is on the fence or has never had a reading done? Yeah. So one of my best friends um, is extremely, uh, you know, adverse to this sort of thing. She thinks that it's, she calls it woo woo as many people do. And, you know, couldn't believe that I started doing this and has always had a little trouble with, you know, some of the stuff that I get into and look into. And, but she was having a really hard time about like two months ago, really struggling with a lot. And we were going on a hike and I said, well, you know, I'd be happy to do a reading for you just for fun, you know, just, just try it out. Just see what, if you don't like it, you don't have to take any stock in it, but you might. And, I did the reading for her and no joke. She now tells people, she's like, I literally am living my life based on that reading because it, it made me think of things that I did not recognize and that were so keen on my current situation that I now I'm just following that completely. And so, you know, it, I, what I, so what I say to people is, you know, just give it a try. It's, it's not fortune telling. It, it's not, you know, trying to, mystically explain to you, you know, what, who you are and what your life is about. It's, it's just really an offering and it's an exploration of, you know, what life is. It's, it's an ex a lot of different experiences, a lot of different feelings, um, a lot of different traits that come out for us at different times. And, you know, if this can help shed a little light on that, you know, why not try? I completely agree. I think that's all you need to think about. You don't need to make any like prejudgments on it. Just go into it with that open mind of like, you never know. And you can decide after just don't be closed minded to it. That's what we think. And, um, and people are like that with therapy too. So those things, again, interconnected, like you just have to have an open mind. And just I think people who want to just be curious, that's like a very, very um, awesome thing that people just kind of like shy away from like curiosity killed the cat. Like it's a bad thing. It's not, it's a good yeah. thing. Just be curious and open-minded. And if people are more curious about you, tell mm -hmm. them about your, you know, you have a private practice and a passion pursuit, the women wake in. Tell us about that and your website that's about to launch. Yeah. So, um, I just started my, my private practice in all of this. It was, um, one of the silver linings, which I feel like has been a silver lining to all of this is that, you know, I've noticed others who also, this allowed for people to look into their, their creativity, you know, things that we weren't always able to explore or think about because we're so busy, you know, we're running around and we've got all these events and work and engagements and all these things. And, you know, the world did slow down a little bit and it kind of allowed a lot of people to, to look at the things that they, they felt like they didn't have time for. And for me, that was, you know, looking into starting my own practice, which is very daunting. You know, the idea of, of being, 
um, you know, an independent contractor and not working for a company that's going to keep you safe with, with the benefits and a paycheck. Um, but I, I did a lot of research during this time and made a lot of calls to figure out how people have done it. So yeah, I have my own practice. Um, but the bigger, um, sort of overarching goal for me is to really, you know, begin to inspire more and more this concept of bringing this harmony and balance with the divine feminine. Um, so I did, my website is womenwaken.com, which is sort of, um, well, one part of it was, I, I was originally just going to do a website, Whitney Walker, but it wasn't available. Um, but I like my alliteration, which Lauren, you might appreciate alliteration and yes, in the name. So, um, so I wanted to keep that. And, and also my friend said, he said, you know, if you're looking to start a, a, just your practice, yeah, sure. Use your name. But if you ever want to grow into an, like a company or something bigger, don't use your name, use a concept, like use something that, that represents or illustrates, you know, what you're all about. And, you know, it, it is a request like women waken. It's like, let's bring it out. Let's see what happens if we try to um, bring the focus back to a more loving and harmonious society rather than one that's really kind of geared towards and swayed towards, um, you know, the, those, some of the more, what are considered masculine energies. Um, and there's, there's this book that I love, um, that sort of represents that, that I'd recommend called the global heart awakens. Um, it's by Anodea Judith. And it really talks about what that looks like, what the journey looks like, um, to that, that place of, of greater balance where we really value more what we can do when we, when we're truthful to each other and we're all working together as a collective rather than this mentality we have, which is just this individualistic idea of like pursuit of domination and power and see how big we can get, which is, you know, it has its place, but when that's all we do, we're all just trying to grow the greatest and get the, you know, the most accolades and the most, um, uh, you know, attain the most stuff. And that doesn't really get us to a balance. So, and the tagline for this book is, um, humanity's rite of passage from the love of power to the power of love. And that really like hit me hard. Like that sort of, you know, sums up what I'm looking at is kind of inspiring that concept. You have this website, you have like this practice. So if people want to, you know, read the books that you recommend, or even just dive deeper into the stuff that you personally do, remind people what this website is, where they can find you there. And then on the socials as well. Yeah. So the website is womenwaken.com. I don't have any social medias. Um, I disconnected from them years ago personally. Um, and so getting involved with them again in a professional capacity is something I'm still kind of deciding on. Um, so that's, I don't have a presence currently, but definitely my website is a place where you can, you know, inquire about services, send me a message. Um, I do free consultations, So I'm happy to talk with people about, you know, what they might be looking for, what might be a good fit for them and to offer any recommendations um, about, you know, books I've shared or, or concepts. Awesome. Okay, great. Well, we loved chatting with you. We loved our readings. Everything was just so awesome and so great and so connected to therapy and tarot readings. It's just like we wouldn't have thought how connected those things are, but they really are. And just so helpful, especially in the world of dating and relationships. So thank you again, Whitney. And guys, do not forget to tune in next week for an all new episode where we talk more mystical dating and relationshipy stuff with our guest, astrologer Tara Nichols. And if you want to join the class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show and It's Complicated wherever you get your podcasts to rate, comment, and tell a friend. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meets. And you can follow me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meds and every dating app until I get fatigue again. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll talk with you next week. Love you long time. You're listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 